And here we go, another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a football Monday, September 21st, 2020, kicking off the show when the levee breaks, the classic from Led Zeppelin with the amazing drum section from the one and only Bonzo John Bonham. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden. Thank you for listening. We've got a big show to get to. We've got a lot of NFL after week two. We've got some Major League Baseball to discuss, and maybe if we have some time, we'll touch lightly on the NBA playoffs. But we begin in week two in the NFL, and we'll start out with the Lions. Why not? Another embarrassing performance. We didn't talk about week one's utter collapse, 17-point fourth quarter lead. We'll start there, actually, uh, against one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, Mitchell Trubisky. Apparently, the only team he plays well against is the Lions. Um, Lions had that game sewed up, managed to figure out multiple different ways how to lose that game, as usual. Um, you know, 17-point fourth quarter lead. Um, tried a 55-yard field goal to give the Bears a short field when Trubisky hadn't shown all day that he could go 70 yards. Um, the play there was to punt. Granted, it would put him up two scores, and I get it's being aggressive, and you're at home, and it's indoors, and Prater's one of the best long field goal kickers in the history of the league. I understand all of those things, and it's not the worst decision I've ever seen out of Patricia, but of course it backfired. Gave him a short field. They scored. Stafford then on a third and six tried to force one in over the middle. Ball got tipped up in the air. Of course, the Bears intercepted. The Lions had a chance at a tipped interception, probably with a big return. Justin Coleman, the highest-paid slot corner in the NFL as of last year, dropped it, of course. Uh, Tracy Walker, who for some reason Detroit media seems to think is some kind of a superstar, and so do Lions fans. He's a nice player. He's an okay player. He's an emerging player. He shows signs at times. Also had a huge missed tackle. This is is a sequence he had in, in Game 1 against the Bears. Huge missed tackle on a third down that would have kept the Bears to fourth and five, and they would have likely punted. Instead, huge missed tackle at the line of scrimmage. They get to fourth and less than a yard. Go for it. Get it. Score a touchdown. Uh, uh, To about three plays later when he got beat for a touchdown by Jimmy Graham's uh, cadaver. Then, oh no, sorry. Before that, um, read to play well on a rollout by Trubisky. Jumped up in the air, timed it well. Trubisky basically hit him right in the hands. If he catches the ball and comes down with it, he returns it about you know 90 yards for a touchdown the other way. Of course, he couldn't catch it. And then two plays later, he gets beat for a touchdown by Jimmy Graham. Now, look, I get it. Defensive backs are going to get beat for touchdowns. Jimmy Graham is 6'8", Tracy Walker 6'1". It's a tough matchup. I understand all of that. I don't have a problem with D-backs in particular giving up touchdowns. It's going to happen as long as he makes some plays. Tracy Walker doesn't make enough big plays. And he has, again, way too many missed tackles. Same thing happened last year in the Arizona game when the Lions blew that 16-point fourth-quarter lead in the opening game of the season last year. We had a huge missed tackle on a third down. Also got beat for the game-tying two-point conversion. I mean, again, it just the Lions don't have anybody that makes a play in a big spot. So, blew a big lead to the Cardinals last year in the fourth quarter. Blew a big lead to the Bears and Mitchell Trubisky in the fourth quarter at home to start week one. That was week one. Oh, and then Stafford does what he does, drives the team down, and he threw a bad interception on on third down. But again, Daryl Bevel's play calling leaves a lot to be desired in a big spot. 
and this goes all the way back to the Super Bowl when he was the offensive coordinator for Seattle, when on, you know, first and goal or second and goal from like the one foot line, he decides to throw a pass that the Patriots intercepted. Malcolm Butler. We all know how that ended. And Daryl Bevel has shown a proclivity to choke, frankly, in big spots late in games. And he did it again in week one against the Bears. He got way too conservative, went run, run, pass. Right? And the whole world knows the Lions are going to try to run the clock out. Look, Caldwell used to do it all the time, too. He used to drive me nuts. He had a play where prior to the 55-yard field goal by Prater, called a rollout to the short side of the field, which basically makes it much easier for the defense because now you're only defending basically a quarter of the field, if that. And Stafford does a lot of things well. Throwing on the run, rolling out is not his forte. Can he scramble around and avoid some pressure in the pocket every now and then? Sure he can. But that is not his forte. I didn't understand a play call. Yes, you could argue Stafford should have thrown the ball away. He took a sack there, and that made the field go longer. And of course, of course, typical Lions fashion, the kick hit the upright, and of course didn't go in, bounced out. Uh, but the play calling left a lot to be desired late in that game when the Lions were trying. All they needed to do was get a first down or two to salt that game away. Um... And then, of course, the Bears come down and score. But they left the Lions plenty of time. And Stafford hits DeAndre Swift, supposed stud rookie running back out of Georgia, right in the hands for the game-winning touchdown with six seconds left. And, of course, he drops it. You know how many drops DeAndre Swift had his last year at University of Georgia? Zero. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up. It, it, he's officially lionized. I mean, and look, he, he looked good. He's a talented player. I think he'll, if he stays healthy, he'll go on to be a good player in the league. But, I mean, it's just, that's just so typical lines. So another fourth quarter collapse under Patricia in week one. Now we go to yesterday's game. Lines look great to start. Get out to a 14-3 lead. Look pretty good. Um, then they had about as bad a sequence as you can at the end of the first half. Um, you know, Lions, instead of running the ball three times and making Green Bay call all their timeouts and punting, they try for a pass, get called for a holding penalty, stops the clock uh, by Ode Abushi who's a backup, granted, but a guy that, you know, look, the Lions drafted a guard in the fourth round this year. Why, why, why can't he play? Because this is what Matt Patricia does. This is what the Lions do. They, 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 they fall back on supposed heady veterans that make dumb mistakes that, that kill them. And make no mistake, this is entirely Bob Quinn's team now. Other than the quarterback and the long snapper, who, by the way, are probably the Lions' two best and most consistent players <laughs> The rest of the team, these are all Bob Quinn guys. All the draft picks are Bob Quinn guys. The last two remaining were Darius Slay and Quandre Diggs, both very good players. But, you know, they didn't get along with Patricia, so they had to go. And they were replaced by Will Harris, who had a sequence yesterday at the end of the first half where he got called for back-to-back personal fouls. And then to start the third quarter, first play of the game, of sorry, of the, of the half, a, a simple run up the middle to Aaron Jones Jared Davis blocked. Jamie Collins blocked. Neither of them can get off a block. Jared Davis, one of the worst linebackers in the NFL, if not the worst. Been saying this for years now. And then Will Harris takes a terrible angle and off Aaron Jones goes for a 75-yard touchdown. And that was pretty much that. I mean, the game was pretty much over after that. Um, you know, so more dumb penalties by the Lions yesterday. Abushi got called for a stupid late hit penalty. That put the lines in a third and 25 that derailed the drive. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, lines make a lot of dumb mistakes. 
Uh, guys don't make plays when any, particularly on defense. Lions don't have anybody to step up and make a play when they need to make a play. So the Lions are 0 2. They should be 1 1. Look, I, going into Lambeau and trying to beat the Packers in Green Bay is always a tall order. I understand that. The problem is you lost a game against the Bears at home that you should have never lost. So that changes everything. And again, yesterday a lot of it was self inflicted wounds. This looks nothing like a well coached team. They display none of the characteristics and traits of a well-coached team. Zero. And Matt Patricia, who the whole world told me and told all of us what a genius he is, what a defensive guru he is, even though his defense gave up, what, 50 points in the Super Bowl, his last game as a defensive coordinator, has coached the defense now in the two-plus years that he's been here that is absolutely atrocious. They get no pressure on the quarterback. For some reason, he doesn't believe in pressuring the quarterback. They run in this outdated 3-4 scheme that it works if you're the Steelers and you've got Bud, Dupre- Bud Dupree on one side and, and, and TJ Watt on the other, bringing pressure. But when you've got the guys the Lions have, which Christian Jones who does nothing, and, you know, Jamie Collins, who supposedly is some Swiss Army knife, I haven't seen it yet. Well, that, that dope got himself thrown out of the, of the game, the first game against the Bears, by headbutting an official while trying to demonstrate uh, an illegal move that one of the Bears running backs was making. Again, heady veteran gets thrown out of the game. 15 yards. By the way, it was a first down run that got no yards. So instead of second and 10, now it's first and 10 and a free 15 for the Bears. And supposedly one of your better players is now thrown out of the game. I mean, I, I don't understand it. What I guess what, he would have gotten away with that when he was on the Patriots? Jamie Collins, by the way, who's shown only that he's good for the Patriots because when he was on the Browns, he stunk for them too. And he was nowhere to be found yesterday for the Lions at all. But this was their big free agent signing. So Matt Patricia's defense can't stop the run. They got gashed by the Bears. They got gashed again yesterday. Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones averaged... 10 yards per touch yesterday. He basically averaged a first down every time he touched the ball, either receiving or running with the ball. The Lions had no answers for him. They can't stop the run, and they, they, can't, they can't stop the pass. They get no pressure on the quarterback. Aaron Rodgers wasn't touched in the first half. Trubisky was barely touched all, all game the first game. This genius with his schemes can't dial up anything. Bob Quinn has ignored pass rusher for five years now. In the draft, when guys like Chase Winovich were available, he drafts Jelani Tavai. Could have had uh, Harold Landry drafts a center. Now, granted, Frank Ragnow is a good player, but you can get good centers in the second round, the third round. You know, it, it goes to, yeah, I, I'm glad Frank Ragnow is a good player and all, but again, it goes to Bob Quinn's complete inability to understand roster construction and value of players and where you draft certain players. You know, this is the same guy that drafted a long snapper. And I don't, want to, I don't want to hear, oh, it was only the sixth round. You look around the league, the good teams have plenty of guys that they got drafted in the sixth round. By the way, Aaron Jones, who gashed the Lions yesterday, was a fifth-round pick. Yet the Lions traded up for on Johnson, who's nothing. And then he's been so bad and or injury-prone that they then they had to use another second-round pick on Swift this year in the draft. But you look around the league, and every good team has more than one run has one running back at least on their roster that was probably a fourth fifth round pick maybe even undrafted free agent but the Lions use 
heavy draft capital on the position and can't get it right. And just keep ignoring pass rush. And you signed Trey Flowers to a $90 million contract last year. Again, Trey Flowers is not a bad player. He's a good lunch pail, workman-like player. Where was he yesterday? Nowhere to be found. You wouldn't even know that he played. He drew one holding penalty on Bakhtiari yesterday. That was it. Other than that, he did nothing. I think he hit Trubisky once. He did. He had a sack. He had a sack and caused a fumble. Of course, Lions couldn't recover it. But, uh, that I mean, again, I, I don't want to crush Trey Flowers. He's a good guy and a hard worker and a decent player. But the Lions are paying him to be a game wrecker, an impact player, a star. And he's not. He's none of those things. Again, Bob Quinn does not understand how to build a roster. And it shows. Give me somebody on the Lions defense that you expect to make a big play when a big play is required to squash a drive, to change the momentum of a game. Who's it going to be? Danny Shelton? Deshaun Hand? Julian O'Quara, who they drafted in the third round for a supposed pass rush ability, was a healthy scratch yesterday. When the Lions don't have anybody could sniff the quarterback, the kid can't even get on the field. I mean, I don't want to call him a bust after two games, but I mean, the fact that he can't even get on the field is a pretty damning statement. Who's it going to be in the linebacking court? Jared Davis? Jelani Tavai? These guys do nothing. How about in the secondary? Yes, I understand Marcus Trufant was hurt. Okay. Or Desmond Trufant, rather. And Justin Coleman's hurt. Justin Coleman, again, had a chance to make a play against the Bears. Dropped an interception that was... You couldn't have placed the ball in his gut any, 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 uh, any better to have it be an easier interception. Dropped it. Justin Coleman's the same guy last year in a Green Bay game. Yes, I know they got screwed on those two illegal hands-to-the-face calls. But then he gave up a 40-yard touchdown to Alan Lazard. Alan Lazard, undrafted free agent, cut by Jacksonville, going against the highest-paid slot corner in the league. And who wins that battle? The undrafted free agent. So he had a chance to make a play last year in that Green Bay game. Didn't do it. Yes, he had an interception on that game on a tip ball. Okay. But again, when they really needed a play, couldn't make a play. Tracy Walker? Just talked about him. Will Harris? Please. Jeff Okuda, the rookie corner they took with a third pick? I get I get it. Corner's a tough position to play. It's the hardest position for a rookie other than quarterback. Actually, I would argue it's the hardest now. Quarterbacks, you see more and more young quarterbacks come in the league and they play well if they've got a good team around them. He was atrocious yesterday. Non-competitive. One near a pass all day. Gave up, I think, seven catches for 150 yards. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player, could turn into a good player. Darius Slay struggled early in his career. Jarrell Revis struggled early in his career. But I remember watching Darrell Rivas play and gave up a lot of catches, but he was always around the ball. It was you know, a matter of just kind of that, that extra split second of figuring out how to defend the receiver without committing interference and playing the ball. And obviously he figured it out and was one of the best corners in the league for a number of years. And same thing with Slay. I mean, Jeff Okuda, again, he, he was nowhere near anybody yesterday. So Lions have no playmakers on defense. They don't play the run or the pass. 
And again, this Matt Patricia is supposed to be his baby, his defense. It's supposed to be his, his wheelhouse. And the only way the Lions are ever going to win a game is if Stafford plays lights out. That's it. And without Kenny Galladay, Lions uh, receiving core is pedestrian. I mean, Marvin Jones is okay. He's a nice second receiver. Danny Amendola is a decent little slot receiver at 35 years old or whatever he is. You know, the rookie Quintez Cephas, he's looked okay. He's not a difference maker. You know, TJ Hawkinson at least looks like a, 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 a quality tight end. You know, he's not Mark Andrews. He's not Travis Kelsey yet. He might be. But at least he doesn't look like a total bust like he did last year. But, I mean, again, the, you know, a nice player. Where are the stars on this team? The Lions have no stars except for the quarterback. That's it. They have zero on defense. And Galladay is an emerging star on offense and Stafford. That's it. You're not winning games with that roster. You're just not. Bob Quinn has done a horrendous job. I'll say it before and I'll say it again. He inherited the most coveted commodity in pro sports. A franchise-type quarterback. Again, not saying Stafford's Rodgers. He's not Brady. We all know this. But he's better than 75 to 80% of the quarterbacks in the league. Or he was. Anyway, when when Bob Quinn got here. And remember, 9-7 wasn't good enough. Okay? Which is fine. It's a fine tack to take. But Jim Caldwell had three out of four years here where he won, had a winning season. And the one year he didn't, they started 1-6 and six, and they finished 7-9. and nine. And if it wasn't for that garbage face mask call on the Thursday night game that gave the Packers a free down and the Hail Mary and the whole thing, Lions would have won that next game against the Rams. The Rams were not good that, back then. But they were completely deflated, and I don't blame them. They would have won out, and they would have made the playoffs that year. So you would have been looking at four years of Jim Caldwell, two years making the playoffs, the other two years going 9-7. and seven. And not making the playoffs. Not one losing year. And I wasn't the hugest Jim Caldwell fan. But he's better than Matt Patricia. And Bob Quinn has gutted this roster, again, of any star quality players. Because, you know, they believe, I guess, in this, you know, everybody has to be a a yes man for the head coach. Nobody, they don't like free thinkers. Don't like guys with personalities. All right, Darius Slay, big personality. Quandre Diggs, big personality. But Quandre Diggs, good enough to start for the Seahawks, who are year in, year out, one of the best teams in the NFC. But not good enough to start for the Lions, whose safeties are not very good. Just like Larry Warford wasn't good enough to start for the Lions. But it's funny, he was good enough to start for the Saints for four years, one of the best offenses in the NFL. But Bob Quinn thought it wise to sign broken down T.J. Lang instead. How'd that work out? And no offense to T.J. Lang. Seems like a great guy. Used to do those one-on-ones with Stafford that were hilarious. Nothing against T.J. Lang, the person. Just a bad personnel move by Bob Quinn. So he's shown himself completely incapable of building a roster. And Matt Patricia has shown himself completely incapable of coaching a team that can finish a game. He's now 924 and 1. All right? 6 and 10 the first year. Got blown out at home the first game by a bad Jets team. By rookie quarterback Sam Darnold making his NFL debut. 
They were a disaster last year. I understand Stafford got hurt. But let's remember, they blew that game to the Packers last year, blew the game against the Chiefs. Kerryon Johnson had a huge drop in that Packers game last year on that Monday night game that would have kept the drive alive and resulted in points. Justin Coleman talked about that. Could it make a play? The Chiefs game, Lions had Chiefs fourth and eight. Couldn't get off the field. Let Mahomes run for 20 yards in a first down. Kerryon Johnson on the one foot line on a first down running play, recklessly and carelessly while he's on his back in a pile, holds the ball over the goal line only to get it knocked out and return 99 yards for a touchdown by the Chiefs. And this, this, this is Bob, this is supposedly one of Bob Quinn's signature moves. Lions traded up for Kerryon Johnson, who, by the way, when he does play, because he's hurt all the time, but when he does play, is pedestrian at best. He's not a game changer. He's not a game breaker. He's not a guy who's going to go 50 yards for a touchdown. He's a plodding between the tackles runner that you can get in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th round undrafted free agent. And yet Bob Quinn traded up to get this guy. And realizing his mistake, had to use again a high second round pick this year on DeAndre Swift. And just signed Adrian Peterson at 35 years old, by the way. Who looks okay. I mean, he's okay for a 35-year-old running back. I mean, he had a, a long run yesterday that if that ball went to Swift, it would have been a touchdown. But, I mean, he just doesn't have the legs anymore to go a long distance. And whatever, that's fine. I mean, I, what he's even doing on his team to begin with make, makes no sense to me. Yes, I understand he looked good against the Bears. But again, when the Lions needed to run the clock out, they couldn't do it because the Bears knew they were going to run. And again, Bevel, instead of mixing it up and doing play action on first down, maybe some high percentage throws and move the chains, went run, run, pass. So the Lions are poorly coached. It's a poorly constructed roster. They've got, they're at Arizona next week, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald. Lions, even when they have a good team, always struggle in Arizona. That's going to be a loss next week. That's 0-3. And then they play the Saints at home. Likely a loss 0-4. Then they have the bye. If that's not the perfect time to get rid of both of these clowns, I don't know what is. Sheila Ford-Hamp is the new owner. Martha Ford's daughter. It's time. It's time. You know, they issued some sort of a kind of, you know, hedged mandate last year that they better see major improvement and a playoff contender. Uh, If they're 0-4, and I don't care if they lose games close either, that's even to me more damning than if they get blown out. Because again, what it shows is Patricia cannot figure out a way to get his team over the hump and finish games and win close games late. I've said this a million times on this show. Most games in the NFL come down about four or five plays. Yes, you have the occasional blowouts here and there. But most of these games come down to four or five plays. And the Lions under Patricia have not been able to make any of them. And you want to talk about last year and try to give Patricia a pass. Oh, well, Stafford, they were 3-4-1. and one. Yeah, they were 3-4-1. and one. Again, they blew two games that they should have won, Packers and the Chiefs. And, and, and the Cardinals. They tied that game. They should have never lost that game. And so what? Oh, they would have beaten the Redskins if they had Stafford and maybe a couple other games. So the, instead of 3-12-1, they would have been 5-9-1. you know, nine and one. Or five, ten, and one, big deal. Who cares? And again, what makes it even more frustrating is the arrogance displayed by both the general manager and the coach with their smartest guy in the room syndrome. You know, when they asked Patricia last week, 
if you know if if it's if his coaching is is at the heart of you know in one breath he'll say oh, it's on me it's on the coaches we got to coach better but then when he's asked a direct question whether it's his coaching has something to do with the fact that the Lions can't finish these games or make a play what does he say Oh, well, I think I got a pretty good track record. I think I called one of the best calls ever. He's referring, of course, to the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. I guess the the concept of irony completely lost on Matt Patricia because the only reason that was made possible is because the offensive coordinator at the time, Daryl Bevel, is now your offensive coordinator. So had the Seahawks just turned around and hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch, that game would have been a touchdown and game would have been over. But yet, again... You know, he thinks somehow that was all him because Daryl Bevel made a terrible play call and the Patriots dumb luck their way into, into an interception and win the Super Bowl. But he thinks that's all him. Reminds me of the old uh, Billy Martin line about George Steinbrenner. You know, think about George. You think you've got to remember about George as he woke up on third base think, and thought he hit a triple. And the funny thing is, is I, 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 I've... This regime I find so distasteful in so many ways from just the sheer incompetence and complete inability to, to, to draft a roster, you know, to, to construct a roster. Bob Quinn's complete inability to understand what the draft is about. You know, giving superstar contracts to non-superstar players, running any good above average talent out of town on a rail because they don't like the personalities, Right. And then all, you know, Patricia's entire act is completely unappealing. So I'm at the point now where I don't even get emotional about these games anymore. I watched that game yesterday, completely emotionless. There used to be a time I would get so pumped up, and maybe also it's because I'm getting older. But honestly, I just, I have zero expectations for this team. I mean, I fully, I, I wasn't surprised in the slightest that the Lions blew the lead against the Bears. I did think Stafford would drive them down the field to win the game, and he should have. Yesterday at 14-3, I wasn't like, oh, we're going to win this game. I mean, I just was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I've gotten so used to it, I don't even get emotional about it anymore. I sit there with sort of a cold detachment. I mean, this is a team I've invested my heart and soul into for 40 years. And these two guys have made it to so that I, again, I'm like now... You know, I was watching. I watched a lot of the end of the Giants game. Yeah, you know, I basically turned a Lions game off. What's the point? It was a blowout. Now, I found myself rooting for the Giants. I mean, listen, I always like to see the Bears lose, but I mean, I, I find the Giants a much more appealing team to root for now. I, I like just watching good football. That's why I, li- I like watching star players do great things. You know, I watched a lot of the Ravens game yesterday, the late game. You know, watching Lamar Jackson play and Mark Ingram run and now J.K. Dobbins the rookie running back and Mark Andrews the tight end and Hollywood Brown a wide receiver and then that defense I mean that, that's a fun team to watch the Ravens same thing Chiefs San Diego it was a good game yesterday watched a lot of that game too Mahomes is unbelievable Harrison Butker the Chiefs field goal kicker made two 58 yard field goals including one to win the game Justin Herbert, San Diego rookie quarterback at Oregon, came off the bench. Started the game unexpectedly because Tyrod Taylor came down with uh, chest pains prior to the game unexpectedly. 
Kid played well. Austin Eckler, running back, undrafted free agent, by the way, for the Chargers. Phenomenal player to watch. So, I mean, that's that's where I'm at now. I just watch the NFL to watch good teams play good matchups. Sunday night game last night. Great game. Back and forth. Seattle. New England. I mean, Russell Wilson, guy's tremendous. The guy's just tremendous. And Seattle made a great goal line stand late in the game when they needed it. You know? They, when Seattle, when New England was trying to run the ball in from the one-yard line, the whole world knew Cam was going to keep the ball and go in for a quarterback sneak with the power off left tackle. You know, some guy you never heard of on the Seahawks came up and stoned the fullback and upended the timing of the whole play. And then here came his teammates to, to tackle Cam short of the goal line. It wasn't even close. By the way, not, not one of Jeff, uh, Josh McDaniel's best play calls. I think the whole world knew that play was coming. But nevertheless, Seattle made a play. So that's where we're at. I mean, I've had it. I've had it. Until there's a new general manager and a new coach here, I have had it. And you know, I've been the biggest Stafford defender in the world. And I love the guy. I love everything about him. And I still firmly believe that with the right team around him, he could win a super. They 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 they, they could win a Super Bowl. I do. I, I still believe that. What needs to happen, and it never will, because he's not that kind of guy. But what I would love to see happen, and maybe even if he could, do, he doesn't even have to do it publicly. But he needs to go to to Sheila Ford Hamp and say, "Look, can you get these guys out of here, please? Can can you get me somebody in here who knows what the fuck they're doing?" Can, can you get me a general manager that can build a roster where I don't have to do everything myself? And look, I'll, he hasn't played great these first two games. I get it. But again, he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He's got to do everything. And he did it last week again, and the kid dropped a pass. I, look, I felt terrible for DeAndre Swift. I loved him in college. As you all know, if you ever listen to this show, I'm a big Georgia fan. But they've wasted five years of Matthew Stafford's prime. Wasted it. The one thing I will say is that when you watch Lamar Jackson or Russell Wilson or Josh Allen up in Buffalo and you see these guys that have the dual threat of running and throwing, it makes you wonder... If that is the direction that the league is headed. Now, look, there's still guys like Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is mobile in the pocket, but he's not exactly, you know, they're not calling design runs for Aaron Rodgers, right? He'll run if he has to, and he's great at moving around and avoiding pressure, but he's not going to run the way Lamar Jackson's going to run, or even Russell Wilson, or uh, Josh Allen. Um, but you wonder... Eh. Or, or and Mahomes, but I look at it and I say, oh, you know, it would be nice to have a guy like that. <laughs> but listen, Matt, Matt is my guy. He's not. He is far from the problem. He's the furthest thing from the problem. The rest of the team stinks. Stinks. I mean, again, there's no. Where, where are the stars? There's no stars on this team. Galladay, okay. Stafford, yep. That's it. 
You got two. You got none on defense. Zero. I mean, Bob Quinn, what is exactly would you say that is you do around here all day? <laughs> and of course, you know, he goes into hiding once the season starts. So he's never accountable, never says anything. Um, so look, 0-4 can't come fast enough. Regime change can't come fast enough. And I don't think it needs to be a, a rebuild. The, but I will tell you this, a big problem is that this roster on defense is very, very bad and really only specifically suited for a stupid, old, outdated 3-4 defense. And I want to hear about Malton, uh, Matt Patricia was, we run multiple sets. Yeah, but get, get, get lost. Your defensive schemes are a joke. So, I mean, the problem is, I mean, you look at the Lions roster, they need a whole new linebacking core. I mean, maybe Jalen Reeves-Maben could play in today's NFL because he's small and fast. And you look at guys like Deion Jones on, on the Seahawks and, and um, oh, why can't I remember his name now? The, the kid for, the, the guy on the Cowboys. But I mean, you know, guys that are six foot and 235 that can run, a lot of teams have linebackers who could play like that. So maybe he could play in a 4-3 as like a will linebacker or maybe even as a middle if you've got two, you know, beefy D tackles up front to keep blockers off of him and let him, you know, run sideline to sideline and make plays. But, I mean, Jelani Tavai, that, that, that guy's a dinosaur. He's a big lumbering lummox. He does nothing. Maybe he could play strong side linebacker on, on, on running downs in a 4-3. Maybe. Jared Davis is completely useless. He doesn't do anything for anybody in any scheme. You know, Jamie Collins is old and washed up. Um... I mean, it's just it's 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 a bad it's a bad roster. Defensive line. I mean, where's the Cliff Averills? Where are the Ziggy Ansahs? Where's Indomic and Sues? Where's even the Lawrence Jacksons or the or the, or the Turk McBrides or the Corey Williamses or Kyle Vandenbosch? I mean, remember those remember those teams, Lions fans? You all have to run Jim Schwartz out of here so fast. Remember when the Lions actually had guys on defense could make a play? Stephen Tullock, remember him? DeAndre Levy, remember him? Justin Durant? Chris Houston? Lions defense is a joke. I mean, maybe Deshaun Hand could be a 4-3 left end. Maybe. But it's a bad roster. Bob Quinn has done a really bad job. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back with more NFL right after this. All right, we're back here on Football Monday, Week 2, September 21st, 2020. So, talked about that Kansas City-San Diego game. I mean, so this is like the fifth game, I think, where the Chiefs have had tra- trailed by two scores or more and have come back and won. Mahomes just makes ridiculous throws. He made another one yesterday to Tyreek Hill. It was unbelievable late in the game. Um... I mean, Chiefs are just fun to watch. They just are. I mean, they're, they're a pleasure to watch. Mahomes is a special, special player. He's great to watch. Anytime they're on, I will watch them. And San Diego played hard. They played well. They had the lead. Um, you know, rookie quarterback making his debut. with. And, and by the way, it's not like Justin Herbert got a, a lot of uh, reps during the week because Tyrod Taylor didn't show up on the, pre- on the injury report until Friday. That means he took all the reps. 
during the week, all the first team reps. So for Herbert to play as well as he played, which is, yeah, he had, he made one really bad rookie mistake where he was rolling left and he tried to throw back right over the middle of the field. Always a cardinal sin. Got, ball got intercepted when they were in the red zone or getting close to it. Other than that, he played well. I mean, threw for over 300 yards, threw a touchdown, showed some mobility. He's a big guy. If you're a Chargers fan, I get, I get it. It's one game, but uh, I, I think you certainly would be encouraged by what you saw from him. Giants had a horrible day yesterday. Saquon Barkley out for the year. By the way, big theme of this week's injuries to star players right and left, which a lot of people thought would be the case and unfortunately seems to be coming true um, with you know the very limited practice and training camp and no preseason games and the whole thing. So Saquon Barkley torn ACL out for the year. Sterling Shepard got hurt again. I mean, if the Giants could ever have their full complement of skill position players, you'd have Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton is turning into a stud, another wide receiver, kid who's fifth-round pick out of Auburn last year, and Evan Ingram and Daniel Jones and Barkley. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good skill group. Now, Giants offensive line issues. We saw it against the Steelers first week of the season. They got beat up bad. Jones had, you know, the Giants had that great, what, 15-play, 90-yard drive, and then he, you know, tried to make a bad throw, and he's getting pressure, got intercepted, changed the whole game. But I think if you're a Giants fan, you got to be encouraged what you saw week one against the Steelers. They looked much more organized, much more disciplined, much more professional. Guys, low Carter, starting, looks like he's starting, the light's starting to go on for him. That guy should be a stud, outside linebacker from Georgia. You know, O'Shane Jimenez... Fackerel, Golden, those four guys should give them a pass rush. They've got beef up front with Lawrence and B.J. Hill and Dalvin Tomlinson. You know, they're very young in the secondary with Julian Love and, and Ballantyne. And, you know, Bradbury is the, the big free agent sign, the guy from Carolina. You know, he's okay. You know, McKinney getting hurt, the stud rookie safety out of Alabama hurts him. But, I mean, the Giants have some young pieces on that defense. You know, they signed Blake Martinez from the Packers. He's okay. He's not great. He's okay. Linebacker. Inside linebacker. But, you know, they've got to get this offensive line straightened out. And and I'm not making excuses, but, you know, of any position group in the NFL, the one that requires the most practice time together as a unit is offensive line. And you've got a rookie left tackle. You've got Will Hernandez as a third-year guard. You've got a new center. You got Zeitler, who's a who's a steady veteran, a right guard, and who is playing right tackle for the Giants? I should know this, and I don't. But my my point is, they've got three new starters on the offensive line: left tackle, right tackle, and center. You know, a young veteran, a left guard, and then a veteran, a right guard. With you know, again, not a lot of practice time. It, it, it's going to be tough. Now, I get it. Other teams are not having the same struggles the Giants are on the offensive line. So if you're a Giants fan, you're probably telling me to, you know, go jump in a lake. I'm just telling you the reality is it's it's the toughest position group to to gel when you, you don't have a lot of experience playing as a unit together cohesively. So I what you hope as a Giants fan is you hope to see steady improvement as the season goes on. You hope, you know, Andrew Thomas improves as the season goes on. I mean, he look, Bud, Bud Dupree had his way with him on Monday night against the Steelers in week one. Bud Dupree is a very good player. 
Um, so you just you hope the kid just gets better and better and better steadily. And they've got, you know, and, and, and look, Daniel Jones is still a young player, obviously. So he's still going to make some mistakes that, that, that want to make you pull your hair out. But then he also has times where he looks great. I think he's going to be fine. But Joe Judge so far, I mean, look, the Giants looked awful for most of that game yesterday, and then I had a chance to win it late in the game. And he drove them down the field, and they got to what, about the 10-yard line? And pass got broken up on the goal line. They, they would have called offensive interference on Golden Tate anyway. But, I mean, they didn't quit. They didn't. The last year, that game would have been an embarrassing, ugly blowout. This year, not. Not so much. They looked bad early. They righted the ship. They hung in there. You know, you just you want to see steady improvement from the Giants as the season goes on. Turn to the other local team, the New York Jets. I mean, I, I, what, what do you even say? I mean, they got embarrassed week one against the Bills. They looked awful against the 49ers. Their first play of the game... Uh, Rasheem Mostert goes 80 yards on, on, a, on a quick pitch on a toss play around right around the right side. Marcus May is supposed to be replacing Jamal Adams. Takes a horrendous angle. You know, it was going to be a 20, 30-yard gain anyway, but it went for 80 because he took a terrible angle. Um, and then, you know, Garoppolo got hurt. Joey Bosa got uh, Nick Bosa got hurt. Solomon Thomas got her. I mean, the, 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 the Niners had a million injuries in that game yesterday. Didn't matter. I mean, their backups were way better than anybody the Jets had. And look, I get it. The Jets, I mean, Sam Darnold's got nothing to work with. Nothing. You know, Brashad Perryman, who had four good games for Tampa Bay late in the year after he was a flame out in Baltimore, uh, is barely played. You know, Denzel Mims, a stud rookie receiver from Baylor that they drafted this year, hasn't gotten on the field. Jameson Crowder is probably their best and most consistent receiver. He's hurt. He didn't see the field. You know, they have no running backs to speak of. I mean, Frank Gore is 45 years old. Le'Veon Bell is a shell of his former self, and, and he's hurt now anyway, which is probably the best thing. They may as well see what this kid LaMichael Piron can do, who they drafted out of Florida this year. Jets' offensive line is not great. I mean, Sam Darnold is not playing with a full deck. He does not have a full complement of weapons to deal with. Having said that, I don't know that Sam Darnold's very good. I don't know. It's hard to make an evaluation. I get it. And I think the coach is not very good either. I don't think Adam Gase is a very good coach. And the defense looked atrocious yesterday. Absolutely atrocious. You know, and then you, you watch Seattle and you watch Jamal Adams making plays all over the field. Now, look, the Jets got a lot for him. So I'm not saying it was a bad trade. You know, we'll know in two years whether or not it was or wasn't. You know, Joe Douglas, the new GM, better make good use of those picks. But this looks to be another lost season for the Jets. Now, they did finish the year strong last year, right? They went 6-2 and two in the last eight. But, I, I, you know, and you hope Perriman's not hurt for a long time. You hope Mim sees the field. It's a long year. Everybody overreacts. I get it. It's only two games. You got 14 more. Things can change in a hurry. But the Bills look like they're vastly improved, and they were good last year. You know, the Patriots obviously aren't probably what they were, but Cam Newton has looked pretty good so far these first two weeks. Look pretty spry. Dolphins have not looked good at all. 
his first two weeks. Um, but it's just it's. I mean, if you're a Jets fan, you, you, you obviously you're just you're not happy. So, and then from an injury standpoint, I mean, McCaffrey got hurt for Carolina yesterday. Saquon Barkley, we talked about. Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Garoppolo. Now, Garoppolo won't be out for a long period of time, probably. It's a high ankle sprain for quarterbacks. It's not that big a deal usually. Um, But, I mean, lots of star players getting hurt yesterday. You already had Marlon Mack go down week one for the Colts, although they got Jonathan Taylor, so they should probably be just fine. The stud rookie running back out of Wisconsin. Uh, So, yeah. Long season. I get it. Teams can improve as the course of the season goes on, but if you're a Jets fan right now, you can't have any faith at all in Adam Gaze. And, uh, you know... I mean, again, it's hard to evaluate Darnold right now because he's got nothing around him. All right, moving on to baseball. So in this weird, you know, COVID world that we live in, the 60-game season, um, you know, talked, I think, on the last show a little bit about the Mets. Um, they've done nothing. I and mean, they've made no run. They, they, I don't think they've won more than three games in a row this year. Um, every time you think that you're going to turn the corner, they don't. They, you know, had that series against the Blue Jays. They scored 18 runs one night, and then they scored like three runs the next two games combined. You know, they looked good against Atlanta one game, and yesterday they couldn't get a hit off some guy named Kyle Wright. Um, you know, they got two hits, I think, the whole game. They wasted Rick Porcello's best start of the year, seven innings, one run, ten strikeouts, completely wasted. Then the bullpen came in and, of course, made the game a laugher. Um... The best news in Mets land is that Steve Cohen has agreed in principle to purchase the team from the Wilpons. Now he's got to get approved by the owners. Um, we'll stand, apparently it's not a shoo-in. We'll see. But he's got to get in here. And, and again, like the Lions, he's got to get a real general manager. Brody Van Wagenen, completely ill-equipped. So, and again, I talked about this on the last show. The Mets have some parts. They have some pieces. The problem is, is a lot of these guys are the same guy. So, you know, it's going to be incumbent on hopefully the new general manager to figure out what trades to make, who to keep, who to move, where to fill in. Um, But like Brandon Nimmo has quietly had a really good year. I mean, he's got 400 on base percentage, as he always does, slugging in the fives. He's got a nine OPS. Problem is he's not a center fielder. Conforto has had a great year, sitting like 330. Even gotten some clutch hits this year. He's not really a right fielder. He's a left fielder. Nimmo's better suited in left field. Now, I could live with Nimmo in left and Conforto in right if you had a stud center fielder. Again, I'll say this name until I'm blue in the face. Jackie Bradley Jr. makes a ton of sense for the Mets, particularly if they go to a full-time DH. Because then you bat him ninth, and if he gives you a 730 OPS, which is about what he's given you this year for the Red Sox, you're fine with it because his defense is that good. And he'll make up for Conforto and Nimmo. And by the way, Nimmo will be fine in left field. Conforto's not great in right field. Doesn't really have the arm for it. And he doesn't, have the, he doesn't take great angles. And he doesn't have a lot of range. But, I mean, he's not a total disaster out there. And then on the infield, I mean, again, I've said it before. J.D. Davis should be playing third base. The guy should spend his whole offseason taking grounders at third. 
You know, Cano, to be fair, mea culpa, he's hit this year. But again, he still gums up the works. Because Jeff McNeil should be playing second base. You know? I mean, Cano should basically be a, a part-time DH at this point. I mean, his, his defense at second base is horrendous. I mean, he can't get to anything. Uh, he's got no range. And, you know, look, Alonzo's had a horrible year. I mean, he has. I mean, the numbers don't look that bad, 12 home runs or whatever. But, I mean, he's been streaky beyond belief. Most of the streaks have been bad. He's hitting like 220, strikes out a ton. Um, he's just tried to do too much. I'm not giving up on him. I think he'll be fine in a normal year. Um, but the other issue is that now you've got Dom Smith, who's having an MVP caliber year this year. He's also a first baseman. So what do you do? I mean... Now, you could figure out a way to let Alonzo play first a couple times a week and DH him most of the time and have Dom play first base because he's a better fielder than Alonzo is. And I guess Cano could play could DH here and there because, I mean, unless unless the new GM and, the, and, and Steve Cohen, let's assume he's going to be the owner, agrees to just buy Cano out, which hopefully he will because he's deep-pocketed, right? He's, got, he's worth $15 billion. Um, and again, Cano's had a good year with the bat. I mean, he has. He's in over 300, I think. He's got nine home runs. He's even got a couple of clutch hits here and there. But again, he just he doesn't fit. He doesn't fit. You know, you can't just get a collection of names and statistics and expect that to make up a team. And that's what Brody Van Wagenen has done because he's an agent. He's not a general manager. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And as far as I'm concerned, Andres Jimenez is the shortstop of the future. Ahmed Rosario, adios. Um... He's had a horrible year. I still think another team will see enough in him that you could get something good for him in a trade. You know, maybe the Red Sox decide they want to move Xander Bogarts to third base. Although now that wouldn't work because they've got uh, Devers over there at third. Now maybe they think Rosario could play second base. Red Sox don't really have a second baseman. And maybe trade him straight up for Jackie Bradley Jr. I don't know. But you should be able to get something for Rosario. And the Mets need a catcher in a worse way. I mean, the Mets have the worst catching situation in baseball. Wilson Ramos has had about as bad a year as you could possibly have, both with the bat and in the field. And I want to like Louis Rojas, the manager. I really do. He's looked way overmatched this year. I mean, there was that game the last week where he benched Alonzo, which I had no problem with. I mean, look, they're playing like they need to win every game, which they kind of do. They're going to try to sneak into this expanded playoff format. But then he lets Ramos hit for himself the bases loaded and one out, and the Mets desperately need to run. Ramos has been awful this year. I understand he's got a track record prior to this year, but we're not we're not looking at it. So does Alonzo. Alonzo had 53 home runs last year, but he was on the bench for that game. But you let Wilson Ramos hit for himself, you don't pinch hit when you've got expanded rosters and, and expanded bench, and you have a backup catcher that you could put in there for him. I mean, it made no sense. And, of course, he promptly hit into an inning-ending inning, inning double play, and that was that. And his bullpen decisions have been spotty at best. You know, he took Porcello out way too early in that game against the Yankees when the Mets had a 7-2 lead. And the bullpen ended up blowing that game. Um, the Mets make at least one ridiculously boneheaded base running blunder per game. And he always talks about it after the game. He says all the right things. But when the mistakes keep repeating themselves, at what point do you say the manager is not getting through to the players? I mean, they make mis- I mean, Conforto barely scored on a double with two outs the other night. Keith Hernandez was beside himself. <laughs> I mean, the Mets ended up winning the game. It didn't cost them. But again, like, that stuff shouldn't be happening. You know, Rosario got picked off to end the game. 
a couple of weeks ago. I mean, that, that, and he's a guy who doesn't even steal bases, even though he's fast because he has, he has no feel for baseball still. He's not a savvy baseball player. He got picked off to end the game. In the game, the Mets were with the tying run at the plate. It wasn't like he was. wasn't like he got picked off as he broke for second base. He was standing on first base and didn't get back in time. Got picked off. I mean, that can't happen. Can't happen. You know, Billy Hamilton, who they finally got rid of, made two huge base running mistakes, and he's only on the team basically as a pinch runner. I mean, this stuff can't happen. It's a bad look. Does not make the manager look good. The Yankees seem to have righted the ship. They're in the playoffs. They had a stretch where they hit 19 home runs in three games. <laughs> They're getting their big boppers back. Judge is back. Urshela is back. Stanton's back. David Garcia, un- up until yesterday, we got shellacked by the Red Sox. It looked very good. Starting pitcher. Bullpen seems to have righted the ship. So... You know, when AG and I did a show two weeks ago and things looked awful for the Yankees and bleak, they, they've turned it around real quick. I think they're back to 10 over 500, whatever. As I said, they've, they've qualified already for the playoffs. Now, they're a flawed team, and we've seen this before. I mean, these all-or-nothing teams like the Yankees are, except for guys like LeMahieu, they, 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 they go into cold spells in, in the playoffs because they face, generally, top-flight pitching. And, you know, Stanton talked about it a million times. I mean, he is such an all-or-nothing guy. So, be interesting to see what the Yankees do when the playoffs roll around. And then lastly in the NBA, real quick, Lakers up 2-0 in their series against the Nuggets. After the Nuggets, down 3-1 to Utah, came back and won that series. Down 3-1 to the Clippers, who were heavily favored, came back and won that series. Nikola Jokic, I've talked about him in, in past years on the show, tremendous. Jamal Murray, tremendous, carrying that team for Denver. Lost a heartbreaker last night in a buzzer beater three by Anthony Davis. They're down 2-0 to the Lakers. And then in the other series, you've got Boston and um, Miami. After Miami beat Milwaukee and Boston took care of Toronto, then Miami's up 2-0 in that series and Boston's had lead in the fourth quarter in both those games and Jimmy Butler et al. from Miami have have come back and won. Bam Adebato, Adebayo with one of the great blocks you'll ever see as Jason Tatum went in for what he thought was going to be a dunk and Adebayo blocked him at the rims. Beautiful play. Um, but those games have been close. You know, you don't want to count Denver out because as I said, they were down 3-1 twice and came back and won. And look, if Anthony Davis and LeBron don't both play well, I mean, the rest of that Lakers roster is not very good. But it's the same thing for Denver, right? Like, I mean, they're, that's a two-star team. It's Jokic and it's Jamal Murray. And the rest of that team is, you know, a bunch of interchangeable parts. Lakers are similar. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Denver bounces back after a crushing heartbreaker of a loss. Uh, again, if LeBron or Anthony Davis have an off night, you know they they'll, they 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 can easily lose. So I'm, I'm not counting Denver out just yet. And same goes for the Boston Miami series. I mean Boston. You know Kemba Walker's got to start playing better, and he said it himself. Um, Jason Tatum thinks he's a little better than he is. Good player, 
emerging star, but he, he's not the superstar that he thinks he is. He's taking a lot of bad shots here in these fourth quarters. Um, but even down 2-0, that series is far from over. But the NBA in general is unwatchable. So it's just, you know, we have to spend 15 minutes debating whether or not, you know, a guy breathed on another guy and is that a flagrant foul? And, I mean, it's just, I, I just, I just can't. And guys just jacking up threes. I mean, you see, that the, in the, the Utah-Denver series, I mean, Utah had big leads in a bunch of those games. And the reason why Denver, one of the major reasons why Denver was able to come back is Utah just comes down to court and just chucks up threes because that's what the statistics and the analytics say. You got to take threes and threes and threes. And, and teams are just jacking up threes with like 18 seconds left on the 24-second clock. It's crazy with, with 10, 12-point leads late in games. It's, un, it's unreal. Never seen anything like it. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Jamal About Sports. Until then, peace out.